So hello everybody and welcome to Labour Day's podcast's first ever live cast. So for those of you who don't know, my name's Ellie Clark and as always I'm joined joined by my co-hosts Ed Mustall and Daniel Randall. Um, also our producer Liam is on the bookstore but in some way he's recording this and <laughs> doing what he should be doing. Um, and we are also joined today by a speaker from the East Dulwich Picture House um, who's going to talk a little bit about unionising in his workplace because um, his name's Tom his name's Tom by the way (laughs) Um, because our um, session today is actually about new unionism and so before we launch into this session what I thought I was going to do is talk to you a little bit about what we actually do Um, so uh, Labour Days is a podcast that's dedicated to trade union issues and trade union history and in each episode we try to take a sort of big wide political debate or idea like things around the kind of fight for free movements and we look at how these issues have can and will be dealt with by the trade unions under their own banner. Um, So we try to look at both the current landscape of our movement and also the history of the trade union movement and then we interject a good dose of socialist politics in as we go along. Uh, We do this in short because all of us are socialists, all of us are trade unionists and all of us are labour activists who believe that the organised workers movement is the only force capable of transforming society. But we also do this because we are very aware that there are a lot of kind of left pundits around at the moment um, who have no real connection to the organised labour movement. And most of them don't even seem to see the trade union movement as a force for change in society. So before I hand over to Dan to introduce our topic, I just want to uh, explain how this is going to work and maybe set like a couple of ground rules. So our very own Ed, the Brain Mustle, is going to give us a bit of a history lesson about new unionism and what this has meant historically. Then we're going to talk. Uh, then we're going to talk to our speaker, um, and we're going to get some stuff from him. And then what we're going to do is we're going to open it up to the floor for contributions from the floor. And without any further ado, I'm going to hand over to Dan, and he can introduce the topic. All right, cool. Thanks very much, Ellie. So um, the title of the discussion today is um, the new new unionism question mark um, so what we're looking at is whether there's a potential now in strikes like the strike of the uh, picture cinema workers that we're going to be talking to Tom about shortly for a um, similar revival and recomposition of the trade union movement to the one experienced in the earlier period that became known as new unionism in the uh, last decades of the 19th century that Ed's going to be talking about shortly so that's the context um, and, and for us um, as trade unionists and working class activists today um, the kind of backdrop against which this discussion is taking place in a lot of ways is quite is quite grim and bleak so I don't know how many people saw the um, Office of National Statistics report that came out last month on um, levels of industrial action and trade union membership but I'm going to quote some statistics from it now. It's very, very sobering reading indeed. So the strike figures for 2017 were the lowest since strikes uh, have been recorded. So um, 1891 was the first year that official statistics were taken on um, industrial action. So actually very slightly after the kind of years that Ed's going to be talking about in his presentation. But 1891 was when these statistics began to be recorded, and since then, the figures for 2017 were the lowest over that whole period. So, 
I mean, I don't think that requires further comment. Really, that's quite that's quite a stark um, that's quite a stark statistic. Uh, also, in the recent figures, we've seen that trade union membership, after a period of stagnation, has started to fall, and there's been a particular decline amongst young workers. So that gives an additional context and a particular urgency to the discussion we're having today, given that the strike Tom's been involved in and some of the other contemporary disputes we might talk about have been led by and have predominantly involved um, young workers. So, um, for example, in 2001, um, just over uh, 20% of, um, sorry, so in 2001, um, just over 20% of the, the trade union uh, movement was uh, un under 30, and that's down to 15%. Um, in 2017 in the private sector where more than 80% of young workers um, are employed uh, the figure for trade union membership is just 9% so of young workers in private sector jobs like Tom's um, just 9% of those workers are in a trade union so that's the backdrop against which this discussion is taking place and that's the situation that we at Labour Days feel um, gives a kind of real urgency to the discussion and a real urgency to the question of how can we revive our trade unions, how can we revive um, working class struggle. In some ways the situation is a little bit kind of perverse given that there's been um, a revival, um, you know we can have a kind of discussion about exactly what it represents but there's been, there's been a real revival in sort of left-wing politics, there's been a surge of young people into political activity of some form, um, a, a surge of uh, young people into the Labour Party, but this hasn't yet been reflected by a equivalent surge or, 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 or uptick in trade union activity, trade union membership or strike figures um, amongst young people, um, or indeed at all. Um, so while we at Labour Days are all very enthusiastic about the kind of Corbyn phenomenon and the Corbyn surge and the potential that that has to revive sort of radical and left-wing politics in this country, we think that that will always be limited, basically, fundamentally constrained if um, it doesn't become an industrial movement as well and if it doesn't express itself in workplaces, in young people joining trade unions, in young people doing the kind of things that Tom and his colleagues have done in their cinemas and, and, and organising to fight their employers. So that's the context. Um, and I guess the kind of way we've set this up is Ed's going to talk about the history, so talk about what happened in the last period of new unionism, how, how did the trade union movement revive then, and then we're going to sort of translate that right down to a kind of micro workplace level and talk about how Tom and his colleagues in their workplace revived from, from more or less a sort of standing, well not even revived, started um, uh, a unionisation drive and a, and a strike movement in, the, in their workplace. and. What we're hoping is that um, people listening to this who, who work in these kinds of workplaces that we're talking about, or really any kind of workplace, um, might get some tips for, for, for how they can go about beginning that process as well. So that's, that's about it for me, just to kind of frame the discussion, really. And I'm going to pass over to Ed to um, give us uh, uh, some history. Thanks. Um, I'm not going to do a sort of chrono chronological history of new unionism because I don't know enough about it to, uh, to do that. Um, I'm going to give a general... Now he tells me. <laughs> I'm a fraud. You're losing your I'm brain a, title. I'm, I'm only in this for the money. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give a general overview of that period, and, and but I'm going to kind of talk about it thematically. Um, so you, you, you may or may not already know 
you know, people have different levels in the room will have different levels of, of knowledge about it. People people listening to the, the episode will have different levels of knowledge about it. Um, so it's not going to be a kind of comprehensive kind of story of, of, what, of what happened. It's going to be more a kind of what were the what were the elements of that sort of episode of trade unionism which may or may not be relevant for what we're then going to hear about in terms of picture house and all the rest of it. So, like like Daniel said, I'm talking about the the late 19th century, uh, specifically the second half of the 1880s, which saw the development of a number of literally new unions as in actually new organizations that hadn't previously existed uh, which is one of the reasons for the name the other reason for the name is that it was a new type of trade unionism uh, very different from and in in some cases in direct opposition to the the dominant type of trade unionism that existed in this country at the time Um, it rejected what was called craft unionism where unions had been quite insular, quite closed off. Uh, They were, by and large, uh, societies of skilled workers. In order to be accepted into a union, you had to be, uh, you had to have done an apprenticeship in some cases for six or seven years in a particular industry. Um, a, A lot of what they did was they obviously did industrial activity, but a lot of what they did was kind of in the, in the model of a kind of friendly society where if you were out of work, you could get, you sort of paid your union contributions so that when you were out of work, you would get a, a kind of fund back out of, out of the trade union funds. And they kind of, because they were very uh, skilled workers in, in various industries, in some cases, the unions got themselves in a position where they would actually be sort of finding work for the members of their society in particular factories or, or whatever. It, it was a quite a sharp break from that sort of trade unionism, although, as I will mention, it, it did also interact with it. It wasn't a completely different thing. Um, and it developed in the direction of something called general unionism, general unionism, which aspired to bring all sections of workers into the trade union movement, which was something that would have absolutely horrified the general secretaries of many of the of the craft unions that were around at the time. Um, it was characterised by a willingness to take industrial action, but it's important not to overplay. Like, it's not the case that the difference between new, the new unionism and what was rather confusingly historically is called the new model unionism, which is the pre- the previous kind of kind of model that immediately preceded it. It's not the case that the difference between those two models was just the new unionist like going on strike and the craft unionist didn't. That's that's not really borne out by the kind of hi- historical evidence. But what they were willing to do was take kind of large-scale, if necessary, industrial action, and a sort of industrial action that involved using a dispute to actually grow the union and bring people into the union while the dispute was going on, and trying to uh, sort of spark things from kicking off in one workplace or in one goods yard or on one dock or whatever, and trying to spread it out to more and more places. the most famous examples that I'm sure people will have at least heard a little bit about would be uh, the match women strike in the Bryant and May factory in East London in 1888, uh, the dock strike again in East London uh, the following summer in 1889, um, and the beginnings of the Gas Workers Union. Um, which Eleanor Marx, Karl Marx's daughter, and, and Will Thorne were heavily involved in 
in setting up, um, which happened around that time, and again, most famously, also in East London. But I think it's as as someone who hails from the provinces, uh, it's important to uh, it's important to, to to know that it wasn't just a London phenomenon. It was not exactly national. It didn't reach everywhere around the country. But if you look at different localities, different towns and cities around, certainly around England, there were similar movements going on. Something to to bear in mind as well is that this is a relatively short period of time, and by the early 1890s there was a kind of a player's counter-offensive that broke apart quite a lot of these struggles that I talked about and in some cases broke apart the actual organisations. I'm going to rattle through some of the themes of this of this uh, period, right? So as I mentioned it was a new approach to trade unionism, aspiring to organise all workers. Now a lot of the time it's it's talked about in the, in the sense of they wanted to organise unskilled workers as opposed to the kind of skilled craft type workers that I was talking about, engineers and that. I think it's a bit insulting to these workers to call them unskilled because actually a lot of dock labouring work, for example, was very skilled work. Gas work, particularly in the, in the sort of municipal gas plants, was incredibly difficult in a lot of cases. And, you know, something like the Bryan and May factory, a lot of, a lot of very skilled, like, manual labour going on there. So... It wasn't so much unskilled, but it was it was groups of workers who had been ignored and not organised by existing unions. And a big element of that was the involvement of women workers who, in the craft unions, basically were not allowed in in many in most cases to even be members, even if they were working in those industries, which would have been very rare anyway. Um, and also migrant workers. In this instance, we're talking mainly about Irish immigrants living in uh, various English cities and towns. Although there, um, although there was the involvement of Jewish uh, tailors and yeah, bakers yeah. in the eighteen eighty nine yeah. strike Partic- wave, as well. particularly also in Leeds as well as, yeah. as well as London. Yeah. So again, kind of similarities. So if you think about. Um, if you think about kind of uh, a lot of the cleaners disputes that have happened in London in, in the last few years, um, very very strongly uh, uh, on the back of the self-organisation of, of groups of migrant workers. Um, the second element is actual new organisations, like I mentioned at the start. So the unions they, they mostly began in a specific industry, but because the thing because of the way the thing kind of spread and, and snowballed. Um, they kind of started to just bring all sorts of people in. So, like the gas workers in East London started in the gas works, but quite quickly there were people just who just wanted to sign up to the union. And they and whereas your traditional union would say, "Well, you don't work in this industry, so go away. We're not having you." The gas workers and even some of the dockers unions as well were basically like, "Yeah, all right, pay your pay your tuppence and here's your and here's your union card," which was a very very different approach. Um, it took a long time for these unions to actually, like I say with the Sheffield Union, it, they, it kind of flared up, became massive and then disintegrated. That happened to quite a lot of them. Uh, it took a long time for them to actually get established properly and permanently. That didn't happen until another, I would argue, until another period of militancy, about 20 years afterwards, just before the First World War. And a lot of these unions are the ancestors of the big unions that are around today. So the Dockers Union is the big ancestor to uh, the Transport and General, which became Unite. 
um, the Gas Workers Union is an, an ancestor to the to the GMB. So today's biggest unions were born in this period. Also, the the Sailors and Firemen's Union, an ancestor to the RMT as well, mm. was was born in this period. But they did work with, in some cases, existing unions of more skilled workers. And the London Dock Strike is interesting because the Stevedore, the, the fantastically named Stevedore's Labour Protection League. Depending on which port you worked in, the definition of stevedore was different. Um, so they could either be someone who loaded a ship or someone who unloaded a ship. But that work was regarded, uh, the, the loading of ships was regarded as being more highly skilled because you had to pack the goods in. It was all done by hand at this, at this point, obviously. You had to pack the goods in like a game of Tetris, you know, in such a way that you weren't wasting any space and that you could therefore maximise the profit of, the, of that, the cargo of that ship. And they were, in many ways, the kind of labour aristocracy of the docks. And they had an existing organisation that had existed for a couple of decades at least beforehand. And they actually didn't turn their nose up at when the dock labourers started to organise. They actually helped them and gave them advice and gave them material support and all the rest of it. And they also got support from dockers unions in other in Europe and Australia and, and around the world as well. So the relationship between newer unions and existing ones is again something that we can think about in terms of what's happening today. Uh, and the final thing, the final sort of theme, is what I would describe as a positive approach to organising, where rather than seeing trade unionism as a kind of insurance policy or a kind of uh, a defensive position for the workers, which of course it kind of is in its, in its most basic form, you actually kind of build the power of the union by coming up with some positive demands for a particular industry and just like hammering those demands. Mm. So on the docks, one of the demands was the dockers tanner, which was the, the sixpence an hour. Um, in the gas works, it was a shortening of the of the working day, and those are both kind of kind of aggressive demands. Rather than saying no to this, no to that, we don't want our terms and conditions changed in in a bad way. You're actually saying, actually, we want our terms and conditions changed for the better, and. They were good examples of just very simple propaganda campaigns about simple and easily understandable demands, as opposed to now where you go on a like a TUC march and it's like, what are the demands of this march? Oh, it's like jobs and justice and mm. the environment and growth and and what and it it's like a sort of amorphous. For the new unionists, it was like we want an eight-hour day, we want six pence an hour, we want whatever you know, um, and one element of that which is the final thing I'll mention, is the conscious and deliberate role of socialists within the sort of new unionist organisations and, and, this, and this period. Um, because people like Eleanor Marx, people like Will Thorne, Ben Tillett, Tom Mann, they were all, to some extent, were involved in, in Britain's kind of organised socialist movement. There's a big debate to be had over whether those those socialist organisations really took this sort of trade unionism seriously, but they certainly had members and leading members within them who were sort of integral to it. So all those things, new approach to trade unionism, new organisations for trade unionism, and a sort of offensive approach to organisation 
are the themes that I wanted to pick out and as we're listening to Tom maybe we can think about whether any of that stuff is is relevant to what we're going to hear about Picture House and, and maybe some of the other stuff that people might know about that's happening at the moment. All right, so um, as Ed mentioned, and as we said at the top, we're very lucky to be joined by Tom Kelly, who's a worker and striker from the East Dulwich Picture House, which is one of the um, Picture House chain of cinemas that's been involved in a quite long-running now um, dispute for a whole number of demands. In fact, so long-running that the very first episode um, of this podcast we did, um, somewhat more than a year ago now, um, what was about this dispute, um, and, and it's still ongoing. But we wanted to talk to, um, to Tom, to a participant from that dispute, um, because we feel that um, it, 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 in some ways, perhaps on a you know, slightly smaller scale, but in, in some important ways, it mirrors some of the themes that Ed was talking about and that, that we would want to draw out of the historical new, new unionism period and, and try and spread for today. So, Tom, thanks very much for joining us. And Cheers. if we could just kick off um, really very simply um, by talking a little bit about um, how you got started. So uh, your cinema, a year, 18 months ago, yeah. never been on strike. There was no union organisation, and now you've been on strike several times, so how did you get from there to here? Yeah, so, I mean, when I was asked to come on the show, I was a bit surprised and think, oh, like, I've not been there the whole time anyway. Um, I started last summer. Um, but it's a small it's a small site, and we've got quite a few, like, small number of people who work there, so I was always interested from the very beginning. This is like, you're on a, you're on a probation period. If you join the union then, they can kind of not pass your probation so there's this kind of to and fro in between the company and us anyway um, obviously it's a company ran for profit which compared to some of the other struggles um, that I've heard about even today with like colleges and universities where there seems to be a dialogue with our company it's a complete we're butting heads and at the moment there's no there's no dialogue there's the, the pitch house or Cineworld themselves have said they're not willing to talk. So going back there, um, to our site, the site had been there about, um, it's been there now for about over two and a half years. Um, and within the people who were working there at the site, they'd heard like some of the other struggles were going on with the other sites. And I think that's, it's a thing that's happening even still where we're trying to spread mm. from one, you know, you know, from like the Ritzy, that was like one of the first sites to strike and that you know, pushing forward and then it kind of was spreading around and that's an ongoing thing that we're trying to do anyway um, with other sites within London and even further outside of London um, so yeah but I, I say I started and I think it's quite relevant to this um, topic where it's an industry which is full of casual workers that's the, the type of people who they employ um, I myself didn't intend to be working there for a long time and don't intend to be working for a long time and I think that's what the company relies on people who are passing through go oh well you know this I'm only here for two days a week or three days I don't really want to get in part of a struggle and I think this is something we that we've been talking about when we have meetings and so on that how do we how do we get that point to those people and what essentially a hook for even people who aren't necessarily um, know much uh, about kind of unionist, unionism and anything else, but it's getting the numbers down. And um, I say it's like hospitality. You've heard about other struggles going on, like McDonald's have started to take on things. And I think it has inspired quite a lot of other people to think, well, the guys in you know, the pitch house are doing that and that it can be transferred to other 
companies. And what, what were the hooks? So what was the hook for you? So uh, what was the first conversation you had or the first um, issue that was raised with you or the first thing that made you thought that made you think yeah we could do this we could go on strike yeah. we could we could we could take action to better our conditions well it's a difficult thing because within within our within this company it's something that they actively say discussion of strikes and kind of union talk is essentially prohibited so it's a difficult thing to do that they're actively targeting and saying well if, if you talk about this I mean what you do in your spare time is slightly different but people do daily come come up to the um, if you're working on the council and they say oh how is it going and you've got your manager there and you've kind of got I, 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 I do the thing where you kind of say well we're not meant to talk about it and make it clear that we're not meant to talk about it and the manager's there and they get the idea but for me personally um, I was already part the, the union were part of us uh, back to I was already part of that when um, I used to work in TV, and um, I say like a lot of people who work in hospitality, it's not you. You either end up in 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 the industry, or you're just passing through, or it's something to supplement a wage, you know, a wage to pay your rent. And um, for me, I already knew quite a lot about. Well, I was already part of Beck Two. It came out when I finished working in TV, and. Um, was already interested. Uh, I'd been following momentum um, during this time, and um, but I was talking to my colleagues um, and within our site. How, how how big's the workplace? Just to give people a sense of the numbers we're talking about. Well, um, we've got we've got three screens um, in the site. Um, you know, we have I think it's about five hundred um, capacity for people in the screens, and then kind of you've got people in the cafes, but. Um, since I have started, the, the change between people who are working as staff, like when I when I joined, um, fourteen people left at, um, when when we got new manager in, um, and when the company quite like quite quite actively changed from being um, you know when when the Cineworld merger happened and Cineworld took over, there was a point where it was kind of still acting like the independent company, and over the past few months, past year or so. They've quite actively changed to becoming a far more corporate company by taking on managers who are either from other sites like Odeon Cinemas and you know um, I say that they're quite actively going to be a, running to be a company for profit. So it has it's made a lot of people either leave, but it's also made other people become you know the, like the activation that we've got to do that the strikes become even more and more relevant. That it's a um, like. I, I want to do this as a larger movement, but there's people who specifically they say, "Oh well, what happens if I get sick? We, you know, we, um, you know, sick pay or um, maternity pay. We've had someone who has just had a baby at the cinema, and you know, um, they won't be getting that extended. They get the statutory, but not an extended maternity pay. And I think it's there's, um, for for me, it was part of this thing that I just want to be part of. But there's it's finding, I guess, individual reasons for each person. And this is within the hospitality industry. Um, I think it is making it a personal, you know, that personal hook mm. and that personal reason. Why does someone want to join a union and when they might be only doing some two days, three days a week? But I think it is something that we're working on. And I think it is showing that, that, that other, other places are kind of citing the picture house strikes and struggles. And it does seem to be something that is working. Yeah, whether that is whether we'll get what we want with the Chelsea or not is a different issue. Sure, but it's I think it's about it's a larger thing than that, isn't it? So, so Ed, Ed talked about how one of the key features of um, 
the 19th century new unionism was um, making offensive and positive demands. Mm. Um, that's certainly been a feature of um, your strike. So for anyone who isn't aware or, or, or for anyone, I mean, I don't think there's anyone who, who listens to our podcast who, who won't be aware of the picture house strike by now. <laughs> uh, but for any new listeners who might not be, so the demands of the strike, um, Tom, maybe you could just kind of t- talk us through them because yeah. they're, they're sort of offensive demands as well, aren't they? Yeah. They're, they're demands for to make things better rather than rather than kind of reactive or de- defensive demands. Yeah, so I think um, Pitch House, when it was um, an independent company, was always um, pretty good towards its workers, and I think that is one of the main reasons that compared to other sites like Cineworld or Odeon, which have worse working conditions, but they were never better. Whereas, as Cineworld has taken over, nothing has changed, but as in the, lots of the perks that we get, um, you know, seeing free films, which would make sense because your, your product that you're selling is films. So if you don't get to see those films, then how are you supposed to tell? Alienated yeah. from the product of your yeah. labour. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, you know, we're, we're pushing for a living wage. You know, it's, we've got the t-shirt literally on. Um, so and that's, uh, that won't make for good podcasting. From there. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see you. It's, it's, yeah. so it's a t-shirt that says "Living Staff, Living Wage," which is the the, the slogan of the strikes. And that's you know, um, that's within you know within London. We're saying about the London living wage, and that's different all over the country. But um, that's what we're pushing for here and across all sites. As they, I mean, the living wage does change. From wherever wherever you are in different cities, I'm like, I'm from Liverpool, and there's a picture house there. <laughs> picture fact, uh, picture picture house a fact, and um, I know they, they're, they're a non-strike site, and that is something that, um, you know, we I've, I've discussed with people when going in and so on. I mean, um, yeah, and um so that's that's the big the big demand and like that's the big kind of thing in the beginning saying the living staff living wage you know um we're due a living wage and then it's about um having fair working conditions um you know there's things we are casual workers where um you know you you either the idea is that you can have more or less hours depending on um what whatever you want that's impossible when they're understaffing the sites that yeah I'm having this current dispute at the moment with my personal site that I may be contracted to wait hours but they're saying no you need to work more because we, we don't have enough staff um, but they're under they're, they're deliberately understaffing um, sites especially sites with union members and that to make the conditions worse especially at sites like the Rist- Ritzy and that it means that like they're hoping that people will either leave and move on and um, as I say aggressive tactics and that's that's kind of what we're dealing with the company ran for profit um, and I say aggressive tactics um, from companies like that uh, I don't quite think I've answered that question well, but we were going back yeah the demands of the strike so living wage you yeah, talked about living um, wage, maternity, maternity pay you mentioned um, yeah, sick pay you mentioned sick pay and union recognition, right? Union so recognition. Around, so. so at the moment, there's no, there's no, there's no talk between the company and the union. So we kind of even just to have meetings, and they have their own forum, the staff forum, um, which is set run by the company. So any discussions that have, they they say that's their own union. It's it's. I mean, you can make what you will of whether you think it is a union or not, but it's run by the company. So obviously, everything you're saying there is going to be logged and kind of. And taken down. It's not. It's not a free forum for kind of discussion and ideas. 
Um, so yeah, I say the recognition of the union um, and so, you know, so site site based recognition as well. So East Dulwich were not a recognised union site, as with the whole. Um, the only one that is is the Ridsey, but that was because of they were already mm. um, recognised before they were taken over by Cineworld. Um So I say like with with those demands, um, they're the kind of the, the main bulk of it. But essentially, it's having. Um, you know, it's having kind of fair recognition and um, that having a workplace that is com- you know comfortable and that you can go into and not have to think about all these kind of hundreds of regulations and things that are being put onto you and so many that you, as a as an individual person, are not sure whether to say yes or no to these specific mm. things. Whereas if we had the union recognition. The conversation would be had with I like I don't know law I don't know what I am and what I'm, I'm not allowed to do, whereas if the conversation was coming straight down through the union, it's a kind of collective. Then process. yeah, so I say because I mean I don't want to be having to be law on my, on, on my, on my spare time to be knowing <laughs> what to, I can and can't do at work, but it's say this is what is happening kind of with the regulations that are kind of being put into place. So it's difficult I say, um, and it's 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 it is it's been an ongoing struggle that is. I think pretty hard and I think but it's I think it's about what's more than what will actually happen um, but what the kind of hopefully what we're inspiring for the other places as well other workplaces thanks very much Tom we'll bring Tom back again sure why yeah, not yeah come on um Thanks to Tom. I think Tom's given us a, 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 an excellent overview of, of, of their dispute and also some of the kind of day-to-day mechanics of the types of conversations that got it started. Um, we'll hopefully bring Tom back um, towards the end, but we wanted now to just um, open it up to any questions, either for Tom or for Ed, or general comments that people wanted to make. Um, I know there are people in the room who've been involved in these types of disputes um, and, and who've been involved in building solidarity with um, strikes similar to the pitch house workers uh, strikes such as the McDonald's strike, the TGI Fridays strike and so on. So if you want to relate any of your experiences in being involved in those disputes in a supportive capacity, that would be great. Or anything else you wanted to say, uh, now is your time. So the first uh, person I saw was yeah. the guy in the yellow shirt. Uh, my name's John Rin Jones. I'm, I'm uh, chair of the United Retired Members in Bangor, not that far away from the scouts map. Uh, <laughs> I did... Uh, um, Email somebody in Beckett, and I said to them, "In all this period that you've been on strike, and it's been a lengthy strike, yeah, uh, uh, you know, and you're being in TV yourself, it's yeah. an important part of what happens." You, Mark Kermode regularly appears on Film Review. Mm. I'd never heard him comment whatever on the strike, and there was this festival, a BFI festival, yeah. and you were down there then. There was a demonstration, and not, no mention. So I, I uh, emailed Beckett. And I did have a reply, which I didn't get from Martin, I must say, yeah. uh, in, in that uh, she said, oh yes, uh, he, he briefly mentioned it on one occasion. Would I contact them? Would I contact And I thought, well, this is what the union's for. I mean, I'm with, with, with Unite, and we do rely on our full-timers to yeah. you know, get stuck in. Um, so I, I don't understand, how, how close do you work with Beck2? Yeah. Okay, so um, I saw you next. Um, yeah, so I've also been involved in the pitch house strike, so I thought I'd add a few things on that, um, which I think are very relevant to kind of the topic of new unionism. Um, 
and actually follows on from what you just said quite well. So, you know, kind of the whole, from what I understand from what Ed was saying, um, you know, the big kind of like transformation that happened under new, new unionism was basically these workers taking control of their workplaces where previously the, the, the trade union movement kind of ignored them, like women workers that actually for decades kind of had their male kind of colleagues had been like petitioning their employers or, sh or striking to keep them out of the workplace and like, you know, banning them from the union and, and so on. They organised their own unions and, and, you know, they dealt with the kind of immediate kind of obstacles that were facing them um, because they knew that they needed to get organised. And we have just as much a kind of a pressing need to do that today. You know, back to is, you know, there's a lot to be grateful for them. You know, they've supported our dispute for, in, you know, up for almost two years, but they've also been incredibly kind of small C conservative at lots of times. They, they haven't given us the kind of amount of support that I would expect from a union of their size um, and with their kind of like, Amount of funds, you know, like, and this is, and this isn't obviously, isn't something that's limited to Bechtu, is it? It's something that people are coming up time and time again in lots of different unions, kind of, almost kind of universally. Um, you know, we saw with the UCU, um, with uh, the leadership basically organising a coup um, against its own membership and threatening to sue them. You know, so we've we've got this kind of like urgent task, I think, ahead of us of transforming and kind of renewing. Um, and you know, fighting for democracy, kind of like within um, our uh, unions, which I think the picture house strike um, is a kind of testament to, because actually I think its success um, is not so much down to the support of our union union leadership, but rather the kind of tenacity of the workers at, at like in the workplaces, and actually a kind of layer like back in the kind of period of new unionism, a layer of kind of socialists. Um, labour movement activists, like Labour Party members, trade, like local trade unionists, they've actually stepped up to fill that deficit where Bexley was kind of like failing, organising community pickets where we weren't allowed to pick it ourselves, um, you know, providing the funds for like leaflets and for our strike fund, um, giving the kind of like guidance uh, and proper legal advice when our kind of like union I think was leading us astray. So, you know, I think there's a lot of kind of um, echoes of what was going on on uh, in the 1880s, which is today. I saw you next. Yeah, I just wondered how well geared like these ancient unions are to sort of respond to stuff like this, because when I worked in a call centre with hundreds of workers, across a courtyard from it was the Unite office, um, and when there was radical changes to our terms and conditions, if you just went around whispering and like managed to get a meeting in the Unite office, United never even realised there was a call centre there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and so and everyone was really, really fired up. I think people would have walked out if we maybe had the confidence to do that. But in this meeting, Unite basically said, "No, you can't do that. There's nothing you can do." Um, but you should still join because you'll get cheap car insurance. <laughs> uh, it's absolutely like what not to do. And uh, yeah, and I think that's I don't know if there's what people can do when that's what you're faced with. <laughs> Okay, so I saw you next in the back. I'm John, I'm from uh, PCS Union, or active in the PCS Union. I mean, I, I do think obviously the vital question in this meeting, if, if the panel could address it, I know it's a huge issue, and even in the fastest sign bite, you, you can't actually address it properly. And that is obviously the potential death spiral of a lot of unions. Um, you see what uh, in America, uh, we've got a long way to go to America, but you can imagine actually unions dying out 
uh, as they have in large sections of the economy as they have in America. Now, the political, obviously, hostility to unions has actually uh, has always been constant and actually quite vicious at times, actually murderous in comparison to Britain. But nevertheless, uh, you can actually see in whole swathes of industry, the unions have no uh, grip whatsoever. Partly that is because of the attitude of trade unions. I mean, the, the system mentioned there, go across to Unite, and they didn't realize there was a call center, but their actually, the whole thing wasn't, we will actually help you go on strike. Their thing was, uh, can you join? Or if you can't join, then leave, because obviously you're a bit of a nuisance, because we just want a steady workforce. Um, big problem, obviously, in unions, PCS myself as well, regardless of how left-wing people regard PCS, which I think is a complete fallacy. Oui. But nevertheless, is, uh, it's a business, it's an organisation, it's a bureaucracy. People are very well paid in PCS. Mark Walker, who's the General Secretary, is over £100,000 a year, uh, and yet he's regarded the most radical, or one of the most radical uh, trade unionists in the whole of the country, and yet he has an exceptionally life, nice lifestyle. And some of us who are critics of Mark uh, actually say the only p um, pay problem that's ever been sorted out by Mark is actually his own pay. Whatever I might think of Bob Crow, Bob Crow could actually turn around and actually say, I have materially, or people like myself, have materially helped workers actually get pay increases. Something that a lot of the trade union movement has actually not managed to do at all in the public sector. And obviously it's going to be interesting, PCS is now balloting for industrial action. Uh, our leadership are telling us that we won't take strike action. This is almost like a negotiating ploy that it will actually strengthen our hand in negotiations and we have up to six months to take strike action. So again, lots of union leaderships actually see the membership as, as like stage armies. They're switched on when they need it for negotiation, turned off when they don't need it. So clearly we need a, a radical overhaul, not just of if like basic organizing, but also actually of politics and attitude. Uh, so for instance, some of us are inside the PCS, as other comrades here will be, have asked, argued long and hard for full-time officials to be recallable, full-time officials to be on a worker's wage, i.e. they shouldn't be able to lord it materially above the workers they are, and to be democratic. More than just having elections every now and then, but actually in a truly uh, dem a democratic sense from a bottom up. So I'll be interested if, if the panel could address that fundamental question. I mean, think, and I'll leave on this, because I think even the TUC have said that they've calculated that if we don't start recruiting lots of young workers in a certain period, I think uh, Francis O'Grady has actually given a precise time, you know, like on, the, on the 5th of April 2032, there'll be no trade unions <laughs> left, trade unions left in this country. Now, I assume what her reaction to that is, we'll form another subcommittee to talk about it, uh, and we might even, I don't know, go to the organising school and expand its number of people in the organising school. Whereas I think obviously what we are requiring is a fundamental change not only in terms of um, politics, i.e. we need a, a union, uh, sorry, a government friendly to us, but obviously how unions organise and what unions believe they are. I'm going to open it back up to the panel. Tom, I'm going to take yeah. you first if you want to come back on anything that was directly given it to you. Um, I think, yeah, this is the first thing about um, Beck 2 and kind of our involvement with it. I say, I mean, I, I've not been part of the struggle for the whole time, but knowing Beck 2 previously being in film and TV, um, I say they are a film and TV union, um, and I think a lot of the people that they work with are freelancers, individuals, rather than a large body, and 
I, I would I'd be surprised if there's any other kind of action going on, but they that they have to deal with like this because, um, like myself when I was in TV as a freelancer, um, you're dealing with things that are kind of on a personal level, not really struggles, but just kind of how can I be helped with this on a day to day basis, and um, when I was doing cameras, the the our wages were decided through not just not just the union but kind of um, where you would have uh, basically what would they call them like diary services and that was <coughs> the, the, um, the, the union was even then for me was quite hands off and just kind of helping throughout that so I think with our struggle with Picture House I think they find in some sense the, the most action that I've, I've seen and had has been internally between the us, uh, like us as the workers and kind of conversations that we have had um, and I'd say it is a thing that has been brought up as in is this the right you know have we got the right people behind us and is when we talk about the more kind of the action there's a bit harder more strikes I think a lot of people are nowadays are kind of saying that oh we want to kind of rain back on the strikes mm. uh, and taking its toll and you know with the strike fund how do we raise money um, for those things because people are worried that they're not going to be paid if they're not striking uh, or if they are striking and um, yeah I think I, I, I personally do feel as well that whether it's the right union or not but I think we, we do need to go more hardline with kind of hitting the company kind of where it hurts and having discussions with we were talking about partners and kind of like if the strike work isn't working how do we do things that they are a company run for profit and we had their kind of um, their image as a company um, you know it's it, um, specifically picture house is kind of aimed at a kind of more um, you know kind of arts and kind of more liberal audience of over kind of and so then I think a lot of people come in and I mean I think that's more of a face than anything else even with the clientele but um, I do believe, kind of, I feel that we need to kind of have someone who's telling us, yes, you need to be doing this kind of more radical action. Um, and so I say, but it's a, it's, a, it's a larger discussion that we need to have within ourselves as, you know. And um, But yeah, I do, like, um, not just back to, but I think this there's this feeling that's, Strikes can be a word that oh, it's a last resort or so on, and I think I, I do feel that the kind of uh, you know we we need to kind of have more radical action. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Thanks um, very much. Brilliant, Ed. Yeah. People people have made all sorts of contributions about past and present, and I'm going to lump them very crudely into like two different things that we're kind of talking about. One is about the nature of work, and the, and and the other is about the nature of trade unions and obviously those two things are linked and new union what made new unionism new unionism new is that it was a response to both of those things it was a response to the the material conditions of work at that time and whether or not existing workers organizations were as as, as a comrade put it earlier fit for purpose to, to deal with that and the kind of question that we're facing is is very much a, a, a similar question, I think. It's like, to what extent has the nature of work changed with more sections of the economy relying more on like casualised labour in the way that the docks did and the gasworks did and whatever? And to what extent are 
the unions that we've got fit to deal with that. The difference is, I guess, the main difference is that for the new unionists, they literally were not unions for the, well, by and large, with a few exceptions, they were not unions for the workers that they were trying to organise. So they had to set up new unions. But the position we're in is a weird one because actually there are thousands of people in the service industry who are members of mm. trade unions. There are tens of thousands of people who work for the big supermarket chains who are members of a, of, of a union or still Britain's fourth biggest union that has hundreds of thousands of members. There are people, thousands of workers that work in high street betting shops who are members of community, a, a, another union. You know, there are, there are thousands and thousands of cleaners in all sorts of uh, industries that are members of Unison, GMB, Unite, whatever. So we have a slightly different situation is that those organisations do exist. And then I suppose the big debate is like, do you kind of go with them and try and try and change them? Do you do you say that's too hard, like the bureaucracy is, 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 is too difficult to transform so we need something else we need a kind of a new organization that's a whole that's a whole sort of strategic discussion to have um a, a, a quick thing on like bureaucracy and strikes as well though i mean it's it's important not to kind of draw too much of a kind of romantic picture of the past and whatever and the, isn't the, that exactly what our podcast is I mean doing. that's of course all I ever do <laughs> and I'm gonna sort of devil's advocate as well because I like I love a good strike but you can't be on strike all the time can you you need a you need a form of I wish you need, you need a form of trade unionism that also works when you're not actually sure. on, you know and it's it's easier to be democratic when a dispute is on because loads of people get really active in the union and that's one reason why the bureaucracies kind of want to solve things without there being a dispute, because as soon as thousands of people get drawn into not just being card-carrying members, but being actual active members of a union, people do start to ask these sorts of questions, like, is this organisation fit for purpose? How can we change it? What? How do we make it better? And that is oftentimes seen as a uh, personal attack on whoever the General Secretary happens to be, which is sort of what's happened in the UCU and all the rest of it. But... It's important to, to say that the new unions were not kind of anti-bureaucratic in, in the sense of, like, the guys that I mentioned at the start, you know, Eleanor Marks, like, she got paid for the work that she did for all these different labour movement organisations, you know. Tom Mann got paid a salary, got, you know, Ben Tilly got paid as, as much as they could afford to pay him. But what they didn't have was this, like, material, like the comrade mentioned, this very divorced material life where they were on, like massive amounts of money compared to the workers they were organising. Yeah, the bureaucracy question is, is an interesting one, but it's also one that all, that existed back then as well. So the first person I've seen is the man at the back in the grey shirt. Thank you. Uh, it's Patrick Murphy. I'm, a, I'm an activist in the ANEU, which the National Education Union, which was the NUT and ATL um, until recently. I want to... Well, first of all, by the way, James Conley and James Larkin were also paid a bit for the work they did. Mm. New unionism organising in Liverpool, but they went to prison for it. They did. I mean, it wasn't that you know that, that there is a possibility of recognising that people have to live while they organise, but not a, a life of high privilege and all the rest of it. But I, I wanted to just raise something which kind of um, which has struck me in our amalgamation as a union. 
Episode four of Labor Days, by the way, is all about <laughs> the amalgamation of between the NUT and the ATL. We love a great amalgamation. <laughs> we're, big, we're big fans of industrial amalgamation. Well, well, well done for that. So well, yeah, so am I. But, <laughs> <laughs> so am I. But one of the things that's highlighted is that well, two things to me. First of all, I think we live in an era of general unionism. Yeah. Um, and that the understanding of industrial unionism in terms of what it is and how important it is, it's really low level, primitive, really, on the left and purely on the far left. Because we have a union now that, unlike the old the NUT, can organize not only teachers in schools, but any worker in school. And I'm sure that's what your podcast was about, and that's why you're celebrating it. Exactly it might right. Be so, it might be so. But that, that new union has, however, very quickly, one of the first, one of its first acts, in fact, was to sign an agreement with Unison and GMB, not to actively, or, or knowingly, because I've read it, not to actively or knowingly recruit somebody who could join Unison or GMB. Now, there are lots of people who are, who are support staff workers at schools joining the new union. Um, it's one of the fastest growth areas, in fact. Um, so there's a kind of an element of, of smoke and mirrors of this agreement. But the fact is that the, the reluctance to, to actually actively build and support industrial unionism in this NEU, which I think will, will disappear, um, is not primarily about craft snobbishness. There is a bit of that. You know, they need to use the boast that it was a union that only had teachers in it. It was the only union that only had qualified teachers in it. And there are some people who are reluctant to give that away. But it's not actually it's not the main reason why there is this conservatism about, about recruiting others. It's a, it's, a, it's a lack of willingness to upset other union organizations. We will fall out with Unison and GND if we do this, including at local level. This will disrupt our work. I know some people locally that I work with who's the, the local Unison and is a friend of mine. I, I don't want this conflict kind of thing, you know? So there's a kind of really distilled organizational conservatism here about what benefits, what's the best form of organization for a group of workers versus the kind of relations we've built up on a kind of personal and political basis over the last few years. It's almost as if workers exist to serve unions rather than to deal the way around, right? Mm -hmm. Workers ex exist so there can be a GMB and a unison, not, well, we, we, we formed this particular type of union because that's what best serves the way of, of organizing workers in this particular industry. So I think that um, that is on the far left as well, that, that kind of, Let's, let's, let's dodge around the issue of um, uh, the, the organizational challenge that exists to some general unions. Now, and, and this, by the way, is, is, is about a section of workers, support staff in schools, whose density is about 30 odd percent. You could recruit lots of them. You, you, you could recruit the majority of them in theory without disrupting anything that GMB needs to do. That's probably not how it would happen. But the fact is that we've got a union movement that, not intentionally, but unconsciously, would, would rather those people weren't organized. Then that they, then that they, there was more of them in the, in, in the NEU than there was in the GMB Houston. And that, that is, there's a real, I mean, people, the word bureaucracy is thrown around kind of casually on the fly often. You know, if you got over the level of a school, a workplace rec, or, you know, somebody's interrupting you at a meeting, chairing it. But actually, this is a distilled version of a really bad problem here that we're not seeing what's good for workers, we're seeing what's good for, for organizations. So, I love the idea of, of a union can recruit people as long as they don't do it knowingly. <laughs> Indeed. In incredible. What's, what's your job? Don't tell me. <laughs> so I saw you next. Hi. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to try and like, contextualise some of the discussion because I feel like it's missing a bit of an element, um, a bit of a dimension to it. So what, what, let's, if we ask the question, why is it necessary to kind of uh, put the idea forward of a new unionism, like in the statistics that Dan put, forward at the beginning uh, that relate to declining union membership and activity like what what is the broader context of why that is taking place it's not just that like unions are big and bureaucratic and acting really lazily 
there is something else going on there. And, the, and what's going on? What's going on there is is capitalism. And capitalism is constantly reforming itself and recomposing itself and going through crisis. And those crises are generally kind of used to uh, consolidate the class power of the ruling class. Um, so I just kind of want to draw that link and, and you know recognise that like, the fight we have in our union is to make them up to up to date and to responsive and proactive and offensive organisations is is a fight against the constantly evolving nature of capitalism and, and if you want to talk about more about that I think that would be a great thing to kind of finish off on. Look I think the, the, the comment about situating this in the context of capitalism and class power is obviously right and what we're discussing looked at from a sort of grand perspective is how do we recompose and reconsolidate and build our own class power as as a response to that hopefully people will have got a set will have got a sense from the discussion uh, as to why we think the period of new unionism is particularly important and why we think we can see again you know all proportions guarded but um why, why we think we can see some of the themes um of that period echoed in strikes like the Pitch House strike, like the McDonald's strike, like the TGA Friday strike, like some of the cleaner strikes that um, we, we, we featured on um, on the podcast. Um, and, and part of what we want to do with the podcast is kind of amplify all of that and, and, and help to make the historical links. But I'll just finish on, I'll just finish on one thing. I mean, an, another kind of consistent theme that, that we've kind of come back to on the podcast and that I think is very much sort of in the air supply on the left, in the labour movement, in sort of political discourse more generally around these issues is the question of whether um, workplace organisation and struggle is is still a sort of relevant form and, and, and whether it's still true that it has a sort of unique potential to subvert capitalism um, and, and uh, part of the argument made by people who are sort of kind of post-class leftists, I guess you could say, is look, unions are declining. That's because capitalism has recomposed itself in such a way that makes industrial organisation impossible. Um, and so we need to kind of move past this and look at some kind of new form. Um, well, I mean, firstly, I think strikes like the Pitch House strikes just show manifestly that's not true. Strikes in quote, gig economy, unquote, type workplaces like Deliveroo and, and Uber show, show that that's not true. And if you look at somewhere like, um, let's, say, let's say supermarket retail in Britain, which Ed mentioned in um, his last contribution, there are, I think, about 15 times more people employed in supermarket retail um, in Britain now than striking miners who were involved at the very height of the 1984-85 miners' strike. About 150,000 people involved at the height of that strike. There's about somewhere between two and three million people involved, employed in supermarket retail now. Now you can have an argument over, okay, is that is that of quite equivalent economic strategic significance? I don't know. I mean, it's getting there. And I think if you if you were to envisage a kind of industrial union organised across the retail sector that could have a strike in stores and in distribution networks and in warehouses. I think you'd be getting up to the point of a kind of equivalent economic impact to something like the miners' strike. And there are some seeds of hope. So Usdor, which is a shop workers' union, historically very, very conservative, um, a couple of months ago did have a strike, an, an offensive strike over an offensive pay demand of workers in a Tesco logistics uh, warehouse centre in Dagenham. In, 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 I think it was Dagenham or um, possibly Rain, somewhere out in East London. Um, so that shows that there's, there is potential there. And I think for us, as people interested in building and consolidating a, a, a new new unionism, um, 
it strikes like the picture house strike. It strikes in uh, strikes an organisation in uh, sex, really key sectors like that, and it's things like um, you know what, what we've seen going on in, in in the UCU that Ed alluded to of um, workers starting to organise within their own unions against uh, the kind of conservatising influence of their bureaucracy. So the picture is uh, you know a little bleak, but the potential um, germs of hope are there. So that's it from me. Ed, do you want to say anything? I'd, I'd, I think we I think we, we we can be down on things too much actually, and I think we should see it as an exciting time to be in the trade union movement because there are even within the sort of uh, often quite opaque and, and kind of lumbering like machinery of, of, the, of the movement. It, it's been mentioned a couple of times by different people today. Like there, there is there is a kind of general kind of common sense developing that like we can't just carry on the way things have been going and, and some something there needs to be some sort of shift and that's happening I think on the shop floor and also in some union offices as, as well and I do think that I don't think it's beyond the rounds of possibility that the pitch house dispute the McDonald's dispute etc they will in the future be seen as historically significant disputes. They're not going to go down in the kind of creation myth of the Labour movement in the way that the London Dock Strike did, because something like the London Dock Strike isn't going to happen again on, in, in, the way, in the exact way that that happened. But I don't think we should be too coy about it. I think these are very significant things that are happening, albeit on, on a small scale at the moment, and maybe it'll fizzle out, but I don't think it will fizzle out. I don't think it'll be spectacular and 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 happen overnight, but something's definitely going on, and that's what we're trying to get into with the podcast and get into some sort of nitty gritty kind of technical, strategic dealing with those questions. But something is definitely going on. So, so yeah, I mean, um, I think uh, like you know, a company like Pitch House, the um, the, the the tactics used by. Um, by the company are quite offensive. Um, things like when we had um, uh, walkouts, um, we were doing walkouts quite a while, and then it got to a point where they sent and um, basically said, "You're not allowed to do walkouts anymore." But like to do with the contracts, and that was kind of a point where we realised they have, they must have specific teams dealing with things. Um, yeah, that they are organised, and I mean we have the union, but we don't. I think. There doesn't seem to be a kind of specific team working almost, you know, twenty four seven. But I mean, I, I I do believe that they have have teams kind of working on things so that they can be quite on the offense and at like every day something changes and that's what I'm like I was saying there with like not having the union recognition. It's hard to keep up, and um, a lot of these workplaces with casual work, the the lines of what you are and are not allowed to do become very confusing and I think this is where kind of having um, kind of you know this, like I say we, we, we are doing a lot of this ourselves with the, within the workers and that, and people who either are still working for Pitch House or not anymore and um, I think for us having maybe a team like having a team that is actively offensive to the kind of the way Pitcher House are um would be you know beneficial but um it, yeah it's a difficult thing going on um having a company like that run for profit compared to maybe what you're saying with kind of 
um, the, when the unionism was coming out, that it's kind of it was a very different industry, and we're working now with companies that are kind of you know largely run for profit, and every part of these things strikes going on um, are hurting them financially, and they're going to make be make sure that they're ready, that they are ready to kind of stamp out anything like that, and so I think that's one of the kind of difficulties that we have. Um, but it's say it's not all doom and gloom, and it seems that it is kind of having an effect. I think even with like hospitality workers and so on, people thinking that oh, like people who've never even heard of being part of a union, mm-hmm. think are oh, now I'm speaking to people and people go oh, like oh, what what like pe- people hear about the pitch house strikes and that can be related to any kind of hospitality work, casual work, and so on. Thanks very much. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. And thanks to everyone um, who asked questions. Yeah. Thanks for coming. You've been listening to Labour Days Live, recorded at Ideas for Freedom 2018 with Ed Mustill, Ellie Clark and Daniel Randall, produced by Liam McNulty. Search for Labour Days on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Labour underscore Days. Download us from iTunes and your podcast platform of choice.